The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Let me just say, after Vera distorting the belt, they're proclaiming the real world champion. I'm going to tell you all with a tear in my eye. This is the greatest moment in my life. When you walk around this world and you tell everybody you're number one, the only way you get to stay number one is to be number one. Hi, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Captain Lou Extravaganza. We are live here on the Captain Lou Sports Network on YouTube, powered up as always by Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Network, bellyupsports.com. For all of your, uh, whatever you want to read about in the world of sports, we've got such an, an amazing group of writers, all sports from football to hockey, basketball, baseball, pro wrestling, you name it, pro golf. Everything in the world of sports, we've got it for you right here at bellyupsports.com. We are, as always, as well, powered up by SeatGeek, the official secondary market of the Captain Lou Sports Network on YouTube. And uh, get your playoff tickets for the Detroit Lions right through SeatGeek.com. That's where I got mine. Use the promo code Captain Lou, and you will get $20 off your first purchase. That is SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code Captain Lou for $20 off your first purchase. That's right. The Detroit Lions are division champions for the first time in 30 years. Still can't believe it. Watched it. I'll tell you, they brought us right down to the last couple of seconds, if you will. Man, oh man, I thought when uh, Kaminsky did not fall on that fumble and when Jefferson made that incredible catch, one of many that he made in that game against Detroit, I thought for sure that uh, it was going to be not a great outcome, if you will, in uh, the world of sports for the Detroit Lions and their fans. But we hung on for a 30-24 to win over the Vikings. Detroit 11-4, clinching the division for the first time since 1993. Where were you in 1993? I know I was 28 years old. Gosh, it's been that long. It's been a lifetime for a lot of folks. I know first one for my son, uh, talking uh, with a lot of folks that weren't around when the Lions won that uh, division championship. All I can remember was it felt like it was the beginning of a run for the Lions. Even though they went to the playoffs for a few years afterwards, it just wasn't the same after winning the division, having to go on the road for the wildcard games in 94, 95, or 96, 98, then, of course, we had that long drought with the Matt Millen regime, which we won't get into. But, hey, the Lions, they're division champs. First time in 30 years, so it's an amazing feeling. Now the Lions have to keep the foot on the gas pedal because there is still a lot to play for. They talked about it after the game. I know as crazy as it sounds, the Lions still have a shot at the uh, at the number one seed. Obviously, they got to win out, and that includes a huge game where the odds are going to be stacked against them in Dallas Saturday night. Then it's going to be a nationally televised game. The Monday night football crew is going to be there. Troy Aikman is going to be front and center because his old coach, Jimmy Johnson, is going to go into the Dallas Cowboys ring of honor. So, I mean, it is the emotions and everything are going to be there. But if you watch the Dallas game, now, I know they're a different team at home. I get it. But uh, when they get uh, with the Lions, maybe a little mojo if they can, they're playing indoors. So you never know. The Lions, if they can pull one off in Dallas, Dallas right now is six and a hook point favorite Saturday night at home, December the 30th. Man, it's going to be an, an electric atmosphere. Then the Lions, if they can win that one and win their home finale against the Minnesota Vikings, which yours truly will be there, by the way. I'm going to be there front and center for that game and the playoff game. Can't wait for that. 
be the first Lions playoff game that I've ever been to in person. So I'm pretty excited for that. But boy, a lot at stake for the Lions uh, coming up here. And we're going to talk about it all through the playoff run. The playoff beard going right here for the Lions, much to the chagrin of my wife. Uh, she doesn't like it, but she'll tolerate it since our Lions are division champions. It's been a while since we could say that. We got a fun show. Speaking of the Lions, I thought it'd be pretty cool tonight to do something a little different. Ken Crippen from the Football Learning Academy, he's a football historian. He's going to stop by in about 10 minutes. We're going to talk about the history of the Detroit Lions. I know it's not been a great history, but we're going to go back to the 50s when they were the team of the decade. And now they had three world championships, played in a fourth one. Um, they had to play a couple of playoff games to get into a couple of those championship games. As uh, back then, there was only, I believe, 12 teams or maybe 10 teams uh, before the AFL, before the merger and all that. So you won the division. It was an East and West, and that was it. And then you went to the championship game. So they played one playoff against the Rams, I think, in 1952, and then against the 49ers in 1957 and went on to win those championships. So you can say what you want about – I know the 80 or the 58 and 59 Giants-Baltimore teams, those championship games – they steal the thunder because of the overtime, and of course, it's New York. But the two best teams in that decade of the 50s, by far, were the Lions and the Cleveland Browns. And we're going to talk to Ken Crippen about that rivalry and just the fun of being a Lions fan back in the 50s, even into the early 60s, when the Lions uh, gave the Green Bay Packers all they could handle. One of the best teams you could argue that the Lions ever had that never won anything was uh, 1962 when Green Bay was 13-1, and one, probably one of their best teams of all time. And the Lions were 11-3 and three that year, I believe. And they gave Green Bay their only loss. So Ken Crippen's going to stop by and join us here in about eight minutes or so. We're going to kind of pick his brain, have a little fun talking some Lions history back in their heyday. So we hope you enjoy that as well. The bowl games are coming. Well, they're going on right now. I don't know how many of them that you've been watching, but the college football playoff is upon us. We've got Michigan versus Alabama coming up Monday night, 5 o'clock in the Rose Bowl. Michigan, a one-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. How comfortable are you with the Lions or with Michigan as a one-and-a-half-point favorite going into a bowl game in a college football playoff? Third straight trip to the playoffs for uh, Michigan. They've got a tall task. Well, they're all big now when you get to the college football playoff. The last year, the final four, as they take on Alabama. Alabama, one-point favorite. And then in the other one, Texas in Washington. Uh, Texas is a four-point favorite in that one. Washington, I'll tell you, I, betting against Bull Penix to me is, uh, I don't know if that's smart or not, uh, but Texas right now, a four-point favorite. The over-under on that one is 63.5 points. The only drawback about watching that game is it's probably not going to kick off until 9 o'clock Eastern time. For those of us here on the East Coast, it's going to make for an early morning if we stay up and watch that, especially those of us that have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to work. So we'll see. May have to put the uh, may have to put the DVR on that game and watch that on Tuesday, but there's going to be a lot of points scored in that one. The Michigan-Alabama game is going to be interesting. We'll talk more about that towards the end of the show as, uh, again, going to be a great Final Four. The last year, the four-team playoff, and then it expands, of course, to 12, which I do believe is probably a saving grace for college football. You look at all the opt-outs right now in the bowl games. You know, Florida State, pretty much, they've mailed it in. You know, I don't know what quarterback is going to play, their third or fourth string quarterback. Georgia, we don't know how many people are playing there. Ohio State. Is Marvin Harrison Jr. going to be playing in that game? Uh, you know, everyone, USC with Caleb Williams not playing, all the quarterbacks opting out or, you know, the top two quarterbacks for USC for that matter not playing. It's unfortunate. You know, we used to look forward to the bowl games and, you know, watching some great games on bowl week, you know, the Citrus Bowl, the Orange Bowl, you know, obviously the Rose Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl. You've got Liberty and Oregon playing in the Fiesta Bowl. With all due respect to Liberty, you know what? They're you know they've had a great run, but how, is it going to fill that stadium? That's that's what's going to be what I'm going to wonder. And you know you've got Iowa and uh, 
Tennessee, I believe, in the you know in the Gator Bowl or whichever one it is. It's yeah. So the opt outs and the transfer portal to me have really really gutted the uh, bowl season. I mean, some of these bowl games right now, you don't even know who's playing. You got a five and seven team in Minnesota that won yesterday in the Motor City Bowl because we didn't have enough bowl eligible teams, and so it. I think the the conference championship or the uh, expanded playoff rather is huge. That's going to be the saving grace for college football when it comes to the bowl games. You're going to have uh, 11 games that really matter. But it's like I heard somebody mention earlier today on one of the national broadcasts. The first thing that I really want to check out, though, with that is uh, are you going to get any opt-outs even in those 6-11 and 5-12 games? That's going to be the interesting thing, um, you know, but can't wait for that next year. You know, as a college football fan, you really, really, uh, it's it, it's got to be uh, something that you're looking forward to. So really, uh, it'll be interesting to see on that. But again, the college football playoff coming up on Monday, two great games. Can't wait for that. We're also going to talk about here a little bit later on the playoff picture in the NFL with the games this weekend. How about Baltimore and uh, San Francisco? Baltimore asserting themselves, in my opinion, the best team in all of football. But still, they've got, you know, they've got their faults too. Every team, I think, is vulnerable, especially, you know, when it comes down to crunch time. Every team has had a three-game losing streak of losing two out of three. So, you know, that's uh, kind of, uh, it's going to make for a wide-open playoff. But right now, the number one seed, San Francisco and Baltimore, but like we talked about a little bit earlier, there's still that outside shot that the Lions have a chance at the one seed. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? Well, without any further ado, let's uh, let's bring in our guest. Really excited to uh, bring Ken in. Ken Crippen from the Football Learning Academy is going to join us now, and we'll bring him on here to the stage. Uh, Ken, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, obviously, talking about the Lions here. Uh, just kind of wanted to bring you in this week. First division championship in 30 years for the Lions. Obviously, they haven't tasted the big success since way back when. That's why I kind of wanted to bring you in to talk about that period, the 50s when the Lions were good. But, uh, you know, maybe get everybody a little more geared up for a playoff run for the Lions this year. Yeah, I mean, you, know, the, you go back to the 50s and even into the 60s a little bit. Uh, they were pretty dominant, especially in the 50s. So um, putting together lots of championship seasons, you know, consecutively. So, yeah. you know, that's uh, a definitely a dominant team over an extended period of time. Well, you know, with the Lions, you know, obviously they their existence started in Detroit, 1934. They won a championship in 35 with Buddy Parker as the quarterback. Um, then, ironically enough, with the Bobby Lane curse, the – that Detroit has had, well, they did have. Um, they acquired him to start the role in 1950, trading for a fullback after some bleak years in the 40s. Yeah, I mean, when you start bringing in Bobby Lane, you know, in 1950, like you had mentioned, you bring in Buddy Parker now as a coach in 1951. That's where things really started to click. So, it wasn't long after that before they started seeing a lot of success. You know, they had some good drafts like the Lions did too um, now. And then in 1952, they enjoyed their – I know they had kind of an okay year in 51. I think they were 7-4-2 and two or 7-4-1. and one. But then they were 9-3 and three in 1952. Then they had to – they encountered uh, – they had to get, to get to get to the championship game against Cleveland – they had to win a playoff game, which was kind of rare back then. Yeah, they uh, had to go against the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, the Rams are coming off an unbelievable season in 51, winning the championship. Then they had to meet them in the playoffs in 52, uh, like you said, before they got to the Browns. And, yeah, the Browns were still pretty dominant at that point. I mean, they you know, were still in the championship game on a regular basis, so – the Browns were no slouch. The Rams were no slouch, and they were able to get past both of them in order to win that first championship in '52. Uh, well, they got you know they they you mentioned Cleveland, 
and we talk about dominant teams of a decade. You know, the argument went back and forth, Ken, between the Lions and the Browns as the team of the decade in the 50s. But you looked at Cleveland, they were in the AAFC in 46 and then came over to the NFL in 50. They had an incredible run of, what, nine or ten straight trips to the championship game. Yeah, ten straight championship games, winning seven of them. And just to kind of put that into perspective, you have seven championships with the Patriots of the 2000s and 2010s, but it took them twice as long to win all of those championships. So think about that. And even think about the Browns back in 48. They had an undefeated season. We hear about the 72 Dolphins, but we don't hear about the 48 Cleveland Browns. And to also put that into perspective, they won 29 straight games starting in 47. They only lost one game that season, win the championship, go through the entire 48 season, winning the championship. And then they only had one loss in 49, winning the championship. 29 straight games. You're never going to see that again. So before we get back to the Lions, you know, I want to ask you a question about the the Browns. You know, we talked about the AFL back in the 60s, you know, how, you know, everybody kind of considered them at first maybe second rate to the NFL until obviously Super Bowl three when the Colts beat the, uh, the, or the Jets beat the Colts. But when Cleveland came into the NFL in 1950, I don't, how was the reception and how, did they really take the Browns seriously back then in 1950? No. Now, the NFL wanted to do everything they could to disparage the Browns and essentially the All-America Football Conference in general, saying that it's a subpar league, things like that. But the Browns came in, and you had the two-time NFL champion, Philadelphia Eagles. They came in and beat them at the beginning of the season, and then they beat them again later in the season. So Browns showed that they were a dominant team. And that they deserved accolades. And, you know, if you go back and and take a look at it, I interviewed a bunch of people who played in both leagues. And every single one of them said that the AAFC was just as strong as the NFL. The only thing that I heard from one player was saying that the worst teams in the NFL were better than the worst teams in the All-America Football Conference. (laughs) Then he followed it up and said, but the best teams in the AAFC were better than the best teams in the NFL. So there was a wider disparity uh, as far as the quality of the teams, but overall it was definitely on par with the NFL. So the Lions played the Browns in 52. First they played uh, the Rams in that playoff game. We mentioned 50,000 fans at Briggs Stadium in 1952. That, uh, you know, you, you look back at when they played in 35 when they only had 15,000 people at uh, University of Detroit Stadium. 50,000 people, a great crowd for football, but that was the norm back then. You know, you, some of these crowds can, for championship games, were 60,000, 70,000 people back, even in the 50s. Yeah, pro football was really taken off. College before that was the king, and you would always get people showing up to the college games. Not as much to the pros, but yeah, once you started getting into the late 40s, into the 50s and 60s, then that's when you really started seeing attendance taking off in the championship games and just in games in general. So the Lions win their first championship since 1935, winning in 52. And then in 53, they uh, drafted probably one of their best defenders that they've ever had. And Joe Schmidt, in the I think it was the seventh round, mm-hmm. and they enjoyed one of their best Probably their best records. Uh, I believe they were ten and two that year, and yes, uh, and uh, really just it, it was a dominant uh, regular season for them in '53. Yeah, did uh, did very well, like you said, ten and two, um, and then they turn around and beat those same Cleveland Browns again in the championship game. So, yeah, I mean, you could argue back and forth as whether '52 or '53 was the better team, but. You know, you won two straight championships and both against a strong Cleveland Browns team. You know, you can't complain about that. I mean, that's, you know, that's dominance right there. And then when you add in the rest of the 50s, you know, you can definitely say it was a dynasty at that point. Yeah, they won in front of, Brig, again, at Briggs Stadium, 54,000 people, but it was a nail biter. They had, what did, I think they scored a touchdown in the last couple of minutes to win that game by a point, didn't they? Yeah, it was 17-16, final score in that. And yeah, it was close throughout the game. And then, of course, they went into 54. 
I uh, believe they were nine, two and one that year. And again, it was Cleveland, uh, their incredible run, enjoying their run, going to the championships games. But huh, that game in 54 was all Cleveland as the score indicated. It was uh, not even close. Now it was 56 to 10. And, you know, you look at Otto Graham, he had three rushing touchdowns and three passing touchdowns in that game. I mean, you know, you're getting close to the end of his career at that point, And, you know, there's no better way to kind of finish it off than, you know, having that type of performance. You know, Otto Graham, if you, you know, for those that don't know that, uh, that he was uh, an innovator back then, he can, and I just, you know, you look at some of the quarterbacks now, the dual threat quarterbacks, and you look at a guy like him back in the 50s, what an amazing athlete he was for Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely dominant. And you can see when he was not in the game, there was a dramatic difference in the quality of the Cleveland Browns at that point. So, you know, people say, well, he was just a system quarterback. Well, if he was a system quarterback, then you should be able to plug anybody into that system and you would be successful. The problem is you took Otto Graham off of the Cleveland Browns and they dropped off a cliff. So Otto Graham was definitely a major contributor to those Cleveland Browns teams. And, you know, I just, you know, can't understand people calling him a system quarterback when you see that type of deviation when he's on the field versus off the field. Yeah, uh, I don't I, I don't agree with that either. You can look at his stats, you look at his records. That's like calling Tom Brady a system quarterback with all the championships and all the stats that he brought up. Um, we're talking with uh, Ken Crippen from the Football Learning Academy, uh, talking about the Lions' heyday back in the 50s as we take a look back, kind of getting people maybe a little bit more knowledge on what it was like for the Lions when they were winning championships as they have finally won their first uh, division championship. I know it's not a world championship, but for a lot of us Lion fans, it's a step in the right direction. Well, in the mid-50s, they got their streak of three straight uh, games in the championship game. 55, they took a step back. I think they were they only won three games or four games. Then they turned it around again. But unfortunately, in 56, Ken, they were nine and three, but that wasn't good enough. They uh, lost the division to a pretty a pretty stout Chicago Bear team. Yeah, and it was half a game difference between the two. The Detroit Lions were nine and three. The Bears were nine, two, and one. So that half a game made enough of a difference to give the Bears the division title. So they were close. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that was also the last year where Buddy Parker was the head coach. So, uh, they definitely, uh, felt that, uh, that difference. What was the story behind Buddy Parker resigning in 1957? That I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, you'd see that, you know, he resigned from the Detroit lions. He resigned from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so that's one of the knocks that's against him, but you know, with how successful he was. I mean, that's kind of the reason why he's um, up for the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, as he should be. I mean, he led the Lions to obviously, you know, they're one of their best runs that they've ever had. So George Wilson took over and then Bobby Lane gets injured. And you would mm -hmm. think that, boy, oh boy, that's it for Detroit. But that, that wasn't quite the case. They went on a good run in 57 to uh, – get a tie for the division chat for the division title. Yeah. I mean, they were eight and four that year. Uh, then they went into the playoffs. Uh, the first team they faced was the 49ers. Uh, they beat them 27, 22. And then they went on to those same Cleveland Browns again. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this time they were on the other side. They dominated the Browns. So it was 59 to 14 was the final score. Uh, Otto Graham was no longer with the team. So you definitely saw a difference, but you know, that was the first year that Jim Brown was with the team. So you started to see a transition from having the hall of fame quarterback to the hall of fame running back. That playoff game against San Francisco. It's always a fun read for me. Um, reading back on it. They Detroit was getting pounded at halftime. It was like 24 to seven, I believe. And the first you could hear them, from the story that I read, Ken, was uh, you could hear the San Francisco players in the other locker room because the walls were like paper thin or real thin, cheering and celebrating like the game was already won. And the, the story was George Wilson didn't have to say anything. He just told him to listen to them. And then what was it? George McElhaney won, hit that long run. Detroit held him to a field goal. 
and that was it. They made a stunning comeback. Yeah, I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, again, it's one of those things where you don't want to give bull bulletin board material to the other team, and they, they did that at halftime. And uh, the Lions were definitely motivated when they come out uh, in the second half. And like you said, they just put went on a run and were able to beat those 49ers. So they, you mentioned they won in Cleveland 59 to 14 and uh, Tobin road again, had a great game there uh, again, Bobby lane out. And then after that, Bobby lane got traded and you know, the, 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 the story is legendary. What he said, you know, they never won another playoff or never win another championship for 50 years. But talk about what kind of a mark that Bobby lane did leave on the city of Detroit with his success. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where as soon as he got to the team, you saw an improvement. And when you combined him with Buddy Parker, they had, you know, innovations going on. They were able to really click. And they also had a lot of talent on those teams, too. And so yeah. you put all that together, have that chemistry. And like I said, you had a dynasty going on at that point between 52 and 57. I mean, they were... They were extremely difficult to play against. And so they kind of kind of hit kind I wanted they kind of hit the skids a little bit in the 50s towards the end of the year in the 1950s. And then in the 60s, they kind of had a resurgence, but unfortunately, they ran into a buzzsaw in the form of the Green Bay Packers in the early 60s. Yeah. I mean, when you're in a division with the Green Bay Packers in the 1960s, it's a problem. But you can't really, you know, disparage them too much. I mean, they came in second, you know, in yeah. 1960, 1961, 1962, 1969. So they were competing against those Packers and against the rest of the NFL. It's just like you said, you know, the buzzsaw of the Green Bay Packers. I mean, nobody was beating them on a regular basis. So it was definitely difficult on them. And, you know, that was the beginning of the the dry streak of, not making it back to the playoffs. You know, and you 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 think of some of the talent that Detroit still had in the early 60s with uh, Yale Larry and Night Train Lane, Dick LeBeau, and of course Joe Schmidt. Um it uh they definitely were competitive and it just those are legendary names, you know, Hall of Fame talent. Just think about that for a second. You've got in the 1950s and 1960s you had 16 Hall of Famers at one point or another on that team, and possibly a 17th if Buddy Parker gets in. I mean, you've got the names. You've already mentioned some. Joe Schmidt, Bobby Lane. you got Lou Kriegmer. you got Night Train Lane. you got Yale Larry, Lem Barney, Dick LeBeau. And then and you move on to, like, Jack Christensen, Dick Stanfield, oh. Dope Walker, Alex Karras. And then, you know, you've got the people that were there just a short time, like Ali yeah. Matson, Frank Gatsky. You had mentioned Hugh McElhaney earlier, John Henry Johnson. Then you look at the coaches. Don Shula was there as your defensive backs coach and defensive open? coordinator in the early 60s. Then you had Buddy Parker in the 50s. I mean, how many other teams are going to have 16, possibly 17 <laughs> Hall of Famers within a 20-year span? The Cleveland Browns, I haven't added that up, but they're probably close. Yeah. You're probably not going to see that out of the 2000 and 2010s uh, New England Patriots, but really those are the only – teams that would even come close to it maybe the Steelers of the 70s um but that's it so just like you said the amount of talent that they had on that team was just unbelievable do you think maybe it's just me being from the Midwest but do you think the Baltimore New York Giants championship games of 58 59 may have cast a shadow on some of the dominance of uh, Cleveland and Detroit in the 50s I, I would say it's possible, yeah, because things really took off uh, in 58, probably because of you know the broadcasting on television and stuff like that. If you started having more regular broadcasts, especially of the championship games earlier in the 50s, uh, I think you probably would have seen something different, especially when you're having those close games. People would have loved seeing that. I mean, you had overtime in the 58 championship game. So I think it definitely would have helped, but... You know, without a lot of that exposure, you're also not in big markets like New York um, or at least along the East Coast where you got New York, you've got Boston, you've got um, Baltimore, Washington. 
um, you've got a pretty strong television market right in that area. You're not going to have that in Detroit or Green Bay or anything like that. So um, I think yeah, things are definitely working against Detroit in those early to mid-50s. So I have to ask you a question. I've been told this by more than one person since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. The 62 Lions team, a lot of folks that lived in that era consider them maybe the best team Detroit had that finished in second place to Green Bay. I think they were 11-3 and three that year. Would you say that that was one of the best, if not the best, Lions teams that uh, they Detroit ever had? I would say it's definitely up there. I mean, you would probably say the 62 team. You'd probably maybe look at the 52 or 53 teams. Okay. But I would say those three are probably your top three, and then you can just kind of argue what order you want. But that's what I would uh, what I would say. Yeah, they that 62 team beat Green Bay on Thanksgiving. I would have, I think they sacked Bart Starr 11 times, and they had Detroit or they had Green Bay beaten in Lambeau but they got called for 12 men on the field and they mm -hmm. end up losing nine, seven. Is that the, how the story went on that last second field goal? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, uh, it was a tough loss for them and things would have definitely changed, you know, had they not had the 12 men on the field, but, uh, <laughs> that penalty, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those, maybe that was the curse of Bobby Lane, who knows, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's something that definitely cost them, uh, you know, a playoff appearance at a minimum. And they had back then what was known as the playoff bowl for the second place teams. And uh, Detroit won all three of those from 61 to 63, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Is that when they were in second place? Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Ken, this has been fun. Uh, you know, the Lions after that, of course, uh, unfortunately, their fortunes obviously took a dip. You know, just kind of going into the 70s a little bit. That's when I first started watching was 1970, obviously, when they lost five to nothing to Dallas in the playoff game. But I would argue that, that you know, they ran, they had some decent teams in the 70s, but just like the Packers in the 60s, they ran into a team that was pretty dominant in the Vikings in the 70s. Yeah. I mean, regardless of what decade you're looking at, they're always running into some sort of buzzsaw. <laughs> I mean, you run into the 49ers in the eighties and then you're mm -hmm. running into, you know, the Cowboys in the nineties. And so it's, there's always somebody there that is peaking at the right time. And it just makes it uh, a little more difficult for lions to be able to get past that. But I mean, Dan Campbell's putting together a great team and, you know, I'm a big fan of his and, I definitely wish him well, and hopefully uh, hopefully he's able to take it. Well, Ken, I, re I get, really appreciate your time tonight. This has been a lot of fun. I always I, I call myself a student of the game. I love reading about the, the teams of yesteryear. I know the Lions of the 40s were bad. I mean, historically bad, kind of like the 2008 team and the, you know, the 2012 or 13, one of the teams that won a couple of games, but this is this is a lot of fun. Now, tell us a little bit about your podcast series. I know you you talk a lot about the early uh, years of the game, your the early years of the teams. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah, the podcast is part of the whole umbrella of the Football Learning Academy, which is an online school teaching pro football history. Um, we kind of want to put today's game into historical context, uh, as well as being able to raise money for retired players. And so we also have a podcast that goes along with the interviews and classes that we have at the FLA. Um, so we're interviewing players and then I'll do a pro football history nugget of the week where I try to do something related to the players themselves, either talking about some of the great players that came out of their alma mater or if there was a great team that they were on, something like that. So we definitely try to focus on football history, but the interviews themselves, you know, we want people to get to know the players as people things that, you know, foundations or charities that they, um, that mean a lot to them, any books that they're writing, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, we definitely try to get under the helmet and, uh, try to get people to get to know these players as people. And that's what I want to try to accomplish with the podcast. And, you know, those are the guys that laid the groundwork, you know, for the, for the guys today that are enjoying the success, not only monetarily, but the success that the game has just exploded 
if it weren't for those guys laying the foundation in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know, they wouldn't have the success. And that I, my hat's off to you. I really enjoy watching when and reading your stuff on Twitter. It's amazing. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, Ken, thank you very much for joining us tonight here on the podcast. Uh, have a great new year. Keep up the great work and uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's a lot of fun to watch. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me. You bet. Ken Crippen from the Football Learning Academy. Uh, you can follow him at Football Learn One on Twitter or X, if you will. Um, again, that's uh, Ken Crippen joining us here tonight, talking a little football from the Lions, a history of the Lions back in the 50s and 60s in their heyday. Three net, three world championships, played in a fourth one in the 50s. He talked about it, 16 Hall of Famers from those teams in the 50s and early 60s. Absolutely amazing that uh, the, the group of talent that Detroit had in the 50s. And it's like Ken said, not it's really not matched right now by anybody. Are you going to see 16 Hall of Famers on uh, some of these teams right now, like the um, San Francisco 49ers or the Baltimore Ravens, or like Ken said, even the New England Patriots? You're not going to see... 16 Hall of Famers from one franchise like the Lions had. And it's like he mentioned, the Browns of the 50s and 60s are going to be close. But you're not going to see that kind of collection of talent like the Lions had back in the 50s and 60s. All right, we're going to take a break, a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the teams of today. The NFL playoffs, we're going to take a look at them, the standings. Who's got a shot to get in? Who's kind of on the outside looking in? Who we think? is going to make the playoffs. That and a whole lot more. You're watching the Captain Lou Extravaganza. It's live right here on the Captain Lou Sports Network on YouTube, powered up by Belly Up Sports. It's the biggest game of the year, and your team doesn't have a coach. They don't even have a game plan. You probably aren't feeling very good about their chances. Make sure you're prepared for one of the biggest financial decisions of your life, retirement. Do you have a coach? What about a plan? Set yourself up for success by calling 877-222-8849 and having Mindy and Nolan McIntosh and their team at McIntosh & Associates create your retirement playbook. They'll help you think through taxes, income, legacy planning, and much more. When you're done, you'll have a customized retirement game plan that you can feel confident in. Start planning today with Central Michigan's retirement coaches, Mindy and Nolan McIntosh at McIntosh & Associates. Call 877-222-8849. That's 877-222-8849. Investment advisory products and services made available through AE Wealth Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor. And welcome back, everybody, to the Captain Lou Extravaganza Live here on the Captain Lou Sports Network on YouTube, powered up, as always, by Belly Up Sports and uh, the Belly Up Network of podcasts. We invite you to check out our website, bellyupsports.com, for uh our list of podcasts, we got a great group of guys. Let me tell you, everyone from the 1420 Sports Bar broad podcast to the Corner Booth podcast, uh, all of them. There's a complete list. We've got a lot of them. And uh, I tell you, it's an honor and a privilege to be a part of the Belly Up Network. Really looking forward to growing with them in 2024 as it's going to be bigger and better than ever. And we invite you to come along for the ride with us. want to thank the world of football out of Kalamazoo for taking time out to watch us here. And he's indeed was right. It was a great interview with uh, Ken Cripp. And we want to thank Ken for joining us here tonight on uh, the network, on the uh, podcast, bringing uh, his knowledge of the fifties and the sixties of the Detroit lions. It's uh he does a lot of great work with the football learning Academy too. check it out. Football learning one. That's his uh, Twitter handle or X check him out at Twitter or X at Football Academy or Football Learning One. All right, so the uh, Lions, as we mentioned, first championship in 30 years and uh, in the division. Now they've got two games left. We talked about it at the top, a big game against Dallas coming up this Saturday night. Dallas with a record of 10-5. and five. They've still got an outside. They've got a shot at winning the division. Philadelphia 11-4. and four. This is a big must win for Dallas coming up. They go to 10 and 6, forget about it. They're not going to win. They're going to be a wild card team. Detroit, as crazy as it sounds, they still have a shot at the one seed. Obviously, they got to win out. They got to have San Francisco 
uh, they got to have them lose. Um, because if Detroit and San Francisco tie at 13, let's say they tie at 13 and four, San Francisco has the edge on the conference records. I think San Francisco is like nine and one, something crazy like that. Detroit is eight and three, or they're like 10 and one, something crazy like this. So Detroit can't catch them. Um, for the conference champ or for the number one seed if they remain tied. Detroit's only hope is to finish with a better record. They need San Francisco to stub their toe either against the Commanders this week, which I don't think is going to happen, or they've got a big game against the Rams, the season finale. It's at home, but the Rams are playing great. Matthew Stafford is having a, uh, I don't want to say a career renaissance, but he's playing well. The team is hitting on all cylinders right now. That's a team that scares me. Let's take a look at the playoff seeds in the NFC right now. Los Angeles, I believe, is the sixth seed, if I'm not mistaken. If I uh, type that in wrong, I will retype it. No, indeed, I was right. The Rams are the sixth seed. That's who Detroit would play in the opening round of the playoffs if it stays the way the seedings are right now. That's kind of a scary game. Matthew Stafford coming back to Detroit for his former home. That's got all the makings of a Hollywood movie. And I'm wondering if those two teams play each other, what day they're going to put this game on. It's going to be, though, obviously the playoff dates, the times and dates haven't been set yet because we got to figure out who's playing whom. But right now, Detroit is the three seed. Now, if they finish with Philadelphia, tied with Philadelphia, they will win based on strength of schedule. Uh, strength of victory, rather. They would get the edge over Philadelphia. So Detroit, and obviously they would also get uh, the conference record edge. So Detroit would get the two seed. So if that were the case, if the playoffs ended today, they would get a rematch with Seattle. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say who I'd want to play and who I don't want to play. Well, I probably will anyways. I know about karma and I know all that. Boy, I just, the Rams are on such a roll right now. They could beat San Francisco. In week 18. And the Rams, you know, they've got the tie break over Seattle based on head-to-head. So the Rams have an outside shot, but uh, their their schedule sets up pretty good. They've got the Giants on New Year's Eve at New York. It's going to be a tough game playing on the road, but then they go to the 49ers. And if that's got playoff ramifications, that could be the night game. That could be the swing game. For the Lions, I don't think their game against Minnesota is going to be uh, flexed. I think it's going to probably stay at one o'clock on Sunday. But uh, if you look at the playoff seeds right now, again, in the NFC, you've got uh, Philadelphia at number two, Detroit at number three, Tampa Bay. Wow. They're starting to come on too. Baker Mayfield. I'm happy for the guy. It looks like Tampa's going to probably win that division and they could take on Dallas. I would love nothing better than to see Dallas go down to Tampa in that opening round of the playoffs. Tampa at number four, um, obviously from winning, you know, winning the division, the NFC South is not exactly uh, a juggernaut of a division. But uh, right now they're eight and seven. They've got the edge. Uh, they've got a one-game lead over um, Atlanta and over the Saints. And so, I mean, anything could happen in that division. On the outside looking in right now, Minnesota and uh, Green Bay are seven and eight. That's the Sunday night matchup. That's a huge game. That's pretty much uh, win to stay alive. You're, you lose, you're out. They're going to have to win out. They're going to need help. But the Vikings, they've got the tiebreaker over the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, they've also got the tiebreaker over Green Bay. But obviously, if Green Bay wins on Sunday, they would go to 8-8. Eight and eight. Minnesota would be 7-9. and nine. So that's going to be a big matchup. Will Minnesota have something to play for when they come to Detroit on week 18 in the home finale for the Lions? So many things to look at. Seattle, again, trying to stay alive in the playoffs. Uh, the teams really that got an outside shot. The Saints need to win their division. They're not going to make it if they don't win the division. Uh, I don't see them going 9-8 and eight and winning any tiebreakers. Um, Green Bay has the winning. They have the edge in the tiebreakers, so they're going to have to win out, hope that Tampa uh, stubs their toe. But that's kind of what the playoff scenario looks like in the NFC with the with the uh, Lions right now at the three seed at the moment. But again, with Tampa, or I'm sorry, with uh, Philadelphia 
If they both stay tied, Detroit will jump them and get the two seed and uh, win that division or would get the two seed and would play the seventh seed in the opening round of the playoffs. And again, as we mentioned, should San Francisco stub their toe and Detroit win out, Detroit would get the bye. They would get home field advantage throughout the playoffs, which is huge because that means they wouldn't have to play outdoors at all through the playoff run. They would have home games. Let's take a look at the AFC. Baltimore is the number one seed right now. Miami's the number two seed. Guess what? Both of them get to play on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Now, they talked about flexing this game, and I'm kind of surprised at first that they weren't, or they didn't flex it to Sunday night to replace the Minnesota-Green Bay game. But what I heard yesterday, I heard Peter King talk about it. I got to give him credit. Baltimore, they the league went to Baltimore since they played on Christmas night, and they asked them what their preference was if they wanted to play again a night game on New Year's Eve. And they said that they took Christmas away from them, basically being out of town playing in San Francisco. They wanted New Year's Eve off. So that's basically why they're playing Miami on one at 1 o'clock on Sunday. That's going to be a huge game. Obviously, <clears throat> the winner of that one, should Miami win, they'd both be tied. Miami would get the edge. But if Baltimore wins and Buffalo wins, that's going to set up a matchup that I think will more than likely be the flex game on Sunday night for the chance for the AFC for the AFC East Championship. Buffalo starting to turn things around, and now Josh Allen is being talked about as a potential MVP candidate. Crazy as that sounds, he's like got the fourth best odds right now. You know, we'll talk about that here shortly about how the quarterbacks. You have one bad game, all of a sudden you're a bum. Who knows if Buffalo? Uh, you know, if, if they lay an egg this weekend, uh, being at nine and six, you know, they've got the Patriots at home. I don't think they're going to lay an egg. But if they do, then, uh, you know, of course, Josh Allen's going to be a bum all of a sudden. But this is a big game for Buffalo. They win this. They go to 10 and six. Then they're going to have to keep an eye on Miami as uh, Miami right now, 11 and four. Obviously, if Miami wins, they clinch the division and all that. That's a moot point. But Buffalo right now is the sixth seed. And a win right there, they're on the heels of Cleveland. But that will solidify them potentially for a uh, – probably for a – they'll clinch a playoff spot should they win at 10 and 6. I don't see how they're going to not be in the playoffs at 10 and 7. Um, they'll have the tie breaks. So kind of the playoff seed, the playoff situation right now, you've got – Buffalo at six, Cleveland at five. Joe Flacco, you talk about a playoff resur uh, career resurgence. Good for him. Kevin Stefanski, they're working their they're working their magic right now with Cleveland, the five seed, and uh, it would be crazy if they ended up tying Baltimore for the division. Now I don't think that I think Baltimore's pretty much got it clinched, but Buffalo or Cleveland right now they're sitting pretty as a five seed. It's going to take a lot for them not to make the playoffs. So they would more than likely play a reeling Jacksonville team. Or Houston's not out of the picture, and neither is Indianapolis. Let's take a look at Indianapolis's schedule real quick as uh, we get into week 16 and 17. Indianapolis has got the Raiders and the Texans. That's going to be a monster game right there. So they're all done with uh, the – they're all done with the – uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's. I'm going to take a quick look at that again. What they did against the Jaguars, uh, they lost to them at uh, Jacksonville, 37 to 20, and uh, then uh, earlier in the year they lost. So they lost both games to the Jags. So if they're tied, they would lose the tie break. But as you can tell right now, they are the seventh seed, that being the Indianapolis Colts. But they are just uh, right now. They're just one game out of the division. Or actually, they're tied with the Jaguars for the division. So there's a lot at stake. Houston at eight and seven. They've got a say in it. Gosh, even the Raiders are still in it at seven and eight as they uh, put a kink in the armor of the Kansas City Chiefs again. Kansas City right now, the three seed. And now we're going to see what the Chiefs are made of as they're going to have to go down the road for the first time in any of their playoff runs under Patrick Mahomes. He's won a lot of games at home in the playoffs. He's got a lot of breaks there. 
But now the Chiefs are going to have to go on the road. And I'll tell you what, you talk about a team that is uh, having going to have to look to refine themselves, if you will, as uh, they didn't look too good against the Raiders. The Raiders played with a purpose on Friday night or on uh, Christmas Christmas Day in that big win. 62 yards passing for O'Connell in the first quarter, and that was it. So Kansas City now 9-6. and six. They're more than likely going to win that division. But, yeah, they're going to have to go on the road for the playoffs. You know, they might have one home game, but that's it. They're probably going to have to play the rest on the road unless we get some upsets. So kind of a look at the playoff picture right now in the NFL, in the AFC, and the NFC. It's going to be fun to watch the last couple of weeks. And, again, us as Lion fans, this is kind of a unique situation for us. Detroit's got the division wrapped up with two weeks to go. Who would have thought? Dan Campbell is working his miracles right now for the Lions. But they got to keep it up. And one of the things they got to keep doing is shoring up the defense. I don't know if it's just me, but it looked like they took the gas pedal off in the second half on defense. You know, I know they got the lead, but they came out and they played a little conservative. They went maybe a little bit to the Wayne Fonts prevent. They didn't blitz like they were in the first half. They got to keep the heat on. And that's just, you know, from an outsider looking in, they got to do that against Dak Prescott this Saturday night. They got to keep the pressure on, and I think they can do it. And one of the things that worries me about Detroit and Dallas on Saturday night, this is obviously a big game for both teams. We talked about it earlier. Dallas needs this win if they want to win the division. They lose, they're done. They're going to have to go on the road in the playoffs. And I think they're kind of resigned to that fact right now. But this is a big game for them. Obviously, we talked about it. Jimmy Johnson going into the Ring of Honor. It's going to be a it's got it's a Saturday night game, but it's got the Monday night football crew there. It's going to be a lot of big doings. A lot of the uh old stars from the 90s. The last time the you know the Cowboys went to the Super Bowl, they're going to be there as well. So this has got big things going on. One of my concerns is all the complaining, the bitching and moaning from Dallas about not getting any calls for holding on Micah Parsons. Here's my over-under on it's going to be two. Two people on the Detroit line are going to get called for holding, for holding Micah Parsons because he's gone, what, 38 quarters without getting anybody well, drawing a holding call. So they brought that to our attention. And we all know the history of Detroit playing in Dallas, especially with a lot at stake, Dean Blandino. So this is going to be interesting to see how that works out Saturday night. But – this is, a, this is a good feeling to have if you're a Lions fan as you're playing in December, already knowing you're going to the playoffs, already knowing you got the division wrapped up. You're a marquee game, one of the top two. You're playing, you're one of the top five teams in the conference. You're a top three team playing a five seed with so much at stake. The Lions got the number one seed still in their sights. Again, it's, it's a long shot, but at least if they can win out, they can at least get a two seed, maybe get another playoff game. And after that, you never know. San Francisco could stub their toe in the playoffs, play a hot team like a Rams in the playoffs or whatever. But yeah, it's uh, a lot at stake in this game. But Detroit's got to get the defense short up. Now, I know they've got uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson maybe coming back to play. That'd be amazing. He brings the swagger. James Houston, I think, might be back for him. The line is looking good for the Lions. I'll tell you what, it's an exciting time, as we said, for the Detroit Lions. Even if they lose on Sunday or Saturday, they can get to 12-5. and five. It's still a very successful year because they will have a home game in the playoffs, and after that, you just never know. Um, if Goff gets time to throw, he's very, very successful. You know, If he gets over 2.8 seconds in the pocket, you know, he makes the plays. A stat that I saw with the Lions – They've got eight play, or four players with eight or more touchdowns. And I think that leads the NFL. Pretty awesome stat right there for the Lions. So a lot to be excited about if you're a Lions fan. It's been a great Christmas weekend for that. Getting that uh, division championship clinched on Christmas Eve was absolutely amazing. So we'll keep an eye on the Lions. We'll talk more about that, obviously, next week when we go in to the regular season finale. We'll have the playoff picture a little more clear in the AFC and the NFC, and hopefully maybe not, but we'll take a look at that. All right, a couple of things. Oh, did you see where uh, 
uh, Russell Wilson is benched with the Denver Broncos. Well, you know, it's a, it's a financial thing. Don't tell me it's a, it's a, it's a strategy to win games. If he gets hurt, they owe him like $38 million or something ridiculous like that. So they're doing that for a reason. I look for, don't look at, don't look for Russell Wilson in a Denver Broncos uniform in 2024. He's going to be traded or released or well, I don't know, whatever they got to do, they're going to get rid of him. Maybe Atlanta, who knows, but Russell Wilson bench today, which is not a total surprise. They don't want him getting hurt. So they got to pay him an injury settlement or an injury type deal, which they tried to get him to waive a couple of months ago. And he said, no, and I don't blame him. If you're the Denver, you know, why would he do it? Denver's, you know, they're the dumbasses for signing him and making that monster trade, giving up draft picks and players. And it's just ridiculous. But Seattle's laughing their way to the bank. They went to the playoffs last year. They got a good shot at going again. And Denver is not going to the playoffs. So crazy there. All right. A um, couple of things. Michigan and Alabama, we talked about it. Michigan, a one-point favorite, one-and-a-half point, depending on what uh, sport book you're looking at. Boy, oh, boy, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great game. I, I'm a little leery about it as a Michigan fan. Obviously, you can tell. Um, you know, we've been down this road before. Michigan being a favorite in a playoff game. Alabama's peaking at the right time, man. I'm nervous. A one and a half point favorite. That's definitely is going to be a toss up game. It's going to come down to defense, obviously. And can Detroit or can Michigan run the ball on Alabama's defense? That's been their bell cow, if you will. Michigan's running the ball, dominating the line of scrimmage. If they had Zach Zinner, I'd be a lot more um, confident about the game. They're a little banged up. And after that Ohio State game, obviously losing Zinter. But, you know, next man mentality, we'll see. Blake Corm getting a chance to play now. J.J. McCarthy hearing the whispers, if you will, saying, you know, he's uh, you know, he's overrated, this and that. All the guy does is win. You got the backdrop with Harbaugh, with the allegations, with the controversy, you know, the, the ESPN and all their folks eating it up and just, you know, this is going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot for Michigan to overcome. They've done it all year, but I'm a little I'm a little worried. The SEC, obviously, they're the kings right now as far as conference-wise goes. They're the defending champs with Georgia going back-to-back, Alabama before that. So, I mean, in LSU, it's just, you know, it's they're, they're the kings right now. Of all the teams that I didn't want to see Michigan play in the opening round, it was Alabama. You know, Nick Saban, he's going to have those guys fired up. You give Nick Saban six weeks or four weeks or whatever it is to prepare, he's solid. But it's going to be a great game. It's the Rose Bowl. It's 5 o'clock. The granddaddy of them all. It's going to be a great backdrop. Michigan's played there a lot of times. Not a lot of success, but they've played there a lot. So it's going to be a dandy game. I look for Michigan to win in a close one. I'm voting for them, but it's going to come down to the end. I think there's going to be some points scored. I think it's going to be like a 34-31 or 31-28 game. Michigan, my heart says Michigan. My head says Alabama. Flip a coin. So, yeah, uh, it's, I'm not going to touch that game as a betting man that I am. The other one, we've got Texas and Washington. Bet the over. I know it's 63 and a half, but these guys are going to put some points up. Both teams are, Yeah. This one's going to be a 41-38, 41-34, whatever. Could be 48-41. I am so looking forward to watching Bo Penix play against this Texas team and vice versa. I know Washington's defense is a little better, but you got the Big 12 defense, which t- that should tell you something right there. And the Pac-12, not known for their defense lately. This is going to be a shootout worth staying up for on New Year's night. I got a feeling I'm going to have to take a nap before the Rose Bowl to watch both these games. It's going to be a little bleary-eyed on January 2nd, but it's going to be worth it. Washington is a four-point dog against Texas. And it's so funny because after I watched Texas, before Washington played in that championship game, I thought Texas, I was really leery then. But watching Washington play against Oregon in that Pac-12 championship game, I just can't, I can't bet against Bo Penix. I've seen enough of them over the years playing for Indiana in the Big Ten, torching Michigan and Michigan State and whatnot. Now he's doing it with Washington. 
boy, that's going to be a fun game to watch. Give me Washington 48-41 over Texas. And this one could be an overtime game too. So great games coming up on New Year's Day. Can't wait for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a great weekend for football. The NFL with some awesome games on Sunday. Detroit-Dallas Saturday night. Washington, or I'm sorry, Baltimore and Miami. Minnesota and Green Bay. A lot at stake for all those teams. And, of course, you get the capper on New Year's Day. Great games, bowl games, the way it should be on New Year's Day with uh, the two playoff games in the last of the four-team playoff before we go to the 12-team playoff coming up uh, next year. Last but not least, if you want to say dumpster fire, congratulations to the Detroit Pistons. 27 straight, looking for 28 against Boston tomorrow night. I don't know where it ends. I thought last night they were going to win. They were up in the fourth quarter. They blew it. They got Boston and then Toronto, maybe against Toronto. I don't know. Have you ever – you know, we've been through some bad, bad Detroit teams in my lifetime. I can remember the late 70s. God bless you, Dick Vitale. You're a great personality. Um, college sports is better because of you with uh, what you bring to the game behind the mic. But by God, you were bad as a coach for the Pistons. and. He'll be the first to admit it. Those 70 teams were brutal. I mean, they had some great U of D talent, but boy, they were bad. And then some of the teams after the bad boys were not very good. And even in the 2010s, but nothing compares to this. Uh, Monty Williams, I don't know. You know, you're going to, you know, everybody thought he was going to be the savior in Detroit and I'm guilty of it. I thought he was too. But you look at it now and you think, God, my God, is he the answer? Is he going to be out? Is he going to resign? He's got to be wondering, what the hell did I get myself into? But then again, Tom Gore is paying him $13 million a year. Why not? But there is no direction. I don't know of one player, maybe Cade Cunningham or Duran, is untouchable on that team. But I don't know if Cade Cunningham's a good number one. You know, I've talked to my son, Matt, who's been on my podcast, my old tag team partner. Biggest one of the biggest Piston fans I know. He's been a Cade Cunningham guy from day one. Now he says he's not a number one guy. You know, who who are they going to get to be a number one guy? I don't know. This is good. I don't, I don't see you're gonna have to blow this team up, but how long is it gonna take to rebuild it? I mean, they got there is just no hope right now. Absolutely crazy. 27 in a row that they've lost. And, uh, you know, when the Lions and uh, you know, have won more games in the calendar year than the Pistons, that's telling you something. And even Michigan State has won more games from November 1st in football than Detroit has won since November. That's pretty sad right there. So on that note, let's close it again with some – Good Christmas cheer, and that is the Detroit Lions winning the division for the first time in 30 years. Where were you 30 years ago when the Lions won the division? I know I was 28 years old. I had hair, black hair. I know a lot of you probably don't believe that, but I had dark hair. I didn't have a lot of it, but I had dark hair, and the Lions were champions, and it looked like under the great Wayne Fonts winning the division, but of course, losing that playoff game to the Green Bay Packers, but we won't go there. But all right, that's going to do it here tonight. I want to thank again uh, Ken Crippen from the Football Learning Academy. What a great conversation with him, talking about the history of the Lions back in the 50s and into the 60s when they were indeed the dominant team in the NFL. And so great, great conversation. If you missed any of it, you can watch it on our YouTube channel, the Captain Lou network on youtube we invite you to subscribe to that we've got all of our shows in its in their entirety right there on the captain lou sports network on youtube um our acha power play which we'll be back doing next week with another episode two broadcasts next week on the network tuesday and wednesday both at seven o'clock with the acha power play on tuesday and the captain lou extravaganza again on wednesday so we invite you to be a subscriber to the Captain Lou Sports Network in 2024. It's going to be bigger and better than ever. We got a lot of plan for it. Keep an eye on that. Follow us on X 
at the real Captain Lou. Follow us on Facebook, the Captain Lou Extravaganza. Drop me an email, sweetlou1965 at yahoo.com. All right, that's going to do it, everybody. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. I hope you have an even better Happy New Year's. Enjoy the football this weekend. And we'll be right back with you here next Wednesday. We'll dissect the playoffs we'll, for the college football playoff, that is. And we'll get you ready for week 18 in the NFL and maybe a little better eye on the NFL playoff picture as well. Okay. Again, thanks for joining us here tonight. This reminder, keep your heads up, keep your feet moving, keep your sticks down, but as always, keep your minds open. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on the Captain Lou Extravaganza on the Captain Lou Sports Network. So long.